This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Rating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly, and Giles Paley Phillips is here as well. Oh yeah, again. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm really good, actually. Yeah, oh, we got we got a um, we got a big one today. Oh yes. Oh, you've got a great pod. It is the legendary Louis Theroux. Not Louis the Louis the Theroux. Louis Theroux. The Louis Theroux. How cool is that, man? I've been a big. I'm a. I've been a fan of Louis Theroux for a long time. Back in the days from. When they first broadcast Weird Weekends, and I've yeah, I mean I've I've watched everything by Louis more than once, uh, probably more than ten times. You know, I'm such a big fan. So yeah. I was a bit of a fanboy, I have to say, but it hopefully didn't come across too much. <laughs> no, too sycophantic on the podcast. I thought you were great, and and so <clears> was he. <throat> oh, absolutely brilliant guest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely wonderful to spend an hour, and we could have talked for. <coughs> Four or five hours yeah. with Louis. We didn't yeah. really scratch the surface with him. Yeah. And, um, and I've, I've already said to Louis, we want to get you back on at some point. The so this might be the by. first of many Louis <laughs> Part podcasts. One. Yeah. Good I stuff. Hope. Anyway, yeah. And so it's, it's fantastic. And so, I think there'll be a lot of listeners who feel the same way as you, who, who will have been uh, big fanboys and girls, yeah. who have listened to him and, and watched his stuff for years. Yeah. So uh, I hope that you enjoy this pod as much as we did sitting down with him, because it was a really fascinating Arrow, so. Yeah, it's brilliant. So let's dive straight. Dive. Let's delve straight in. This is Louis Theroux on the Blank Podcast. 
So, Louis Farouk, welcome to the Blank Podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. How are, how are you? How you? How long have you been back in the UK? Oh, quite a while now. I uh, since August of last year. Oh, okay. I was only in. I was in America for a, a year. Um, well, I've done a few different sure. stints, but with the family, I was there for a year prior to August of last year, and then prior to that, had had another sort of stay over there, but. I think it was a case of needing to come back and re- sort of re- reconcile myself to the reality of, you know, I've got three kids and sure, it's yeah, like yeah. You, you sort of have to be one place or the other. Yeah. We were flitting a bit and, that, and now we are And you've squarely. done that over the years, have you? Like- I think a bit. I mean, certainly when I, um, I... My dad's American. I grew up in the UK. But when I left university, I did about five or six years solidly in America and that's where I got started working in TV after that in 98 I moved back and was sort of solidly back up in the UK after that and then there were then and then and then I did a year writing a book around 2006 2005 and then I did a couple of years into you know anyway there's been a few different so it's been a bit of back and forth yeah and I was going to say to you do you feel more at home in one place rather than the other or is there a bit of a combination well I think I think I feel I mean given that I was raised in the UK mm. I feel more British I mean I was saying to someone the other day I almost feel like my nationality is is London yeah, yeah. is Londonish. well Amy and I were talking about that earlier Amy's getting a plug on the podcast now. Yeah. Um, about how London feels like a slightly different like almost like a different country as much know? as I enjoy yeah. And I do often my go to my mum's in East Sussex. I've got ah whereabouts? I'm East Sussex. She's in um, uh, Eastbourne. Okay, I live yeah. in Seaford, which is just down the is road. That from close, Eastbourne. yeah. Yeah, it's about ten miles. I hesitate because she was in she was near Polegate before that. Oh, she okay. only just I've not seen her place in Eastbourne because she moved. She was in Polegate in a little place called um, it's a little town near it. It's, oh, it's got the same name as a place in Wisconsin. What's the capital of Wisconsin? Jim, <laughs> it's near the Giants, Wilmington. Wilmington, it's not yes, the capital. I know Wilmington. Wilmington, yes, very pretty. Is that in Wisconsin or it might be in Delaware? It's weird <laughs> that I've got it anchored to an American location. Well, that's what I'm wondering now. Yeah, I feel to... more 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 Londonish. Yeah, having grown up here, but I, I'm I'm definitely given that I think I sound very. I'm told I sound very English and sort of proper. That I'm 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 perhaps more American than I might appear. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so the cool. idea that I'm going to go off on a mini tangent, which you can edit. No, out. I like it. The <laughs> idea that when I started out, it was sort of like, oh, you're making a um, program that makes fun of Americans, right? That, that was slightly the perception. And I always felt bad about that. And also that the, the people who said that hadn't quite, hadn't quite got what I was doing because I sort of felt more American. And I had certain loyalties mm. to America alongside my British loyalties. But probably there was. I mean, there was a bit of piss taking in it. So I, you yeah. know, I, I couldn't exactly, you yeah, know, resent people for yeah. saying it. You talk, I mean, I guess because you started with Michael Moore, didn't you, mm. on TV Nation, and that was kind of the origins, I guess, or the genesis for the Weird Weekend mm. stuff. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. he, in fact, I should. He actually thought that. And in fact, there was a. You know, I've got so much to be grateful to Michael Moore for in terms of giving me my break, hiring me when I had no experience, putting me in front of the camera. And then when I left, I think he was a little bit, his nose was out of joint. I think, and I think for oh, understandable really? reasons, okay. because I think the BBC didn't handle it 
brilliantly. I don't think they consulted with him and said, hey, we're thinking of giving Louis his own show. Now, granted, TV Nation had ended by then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't privy to the conversations, but I okay. know he felt a little bit put out. I heard through, through the grapevine. You've never spoken to him directly about that? No, since then, okay. I've, I've spoken to him, but not directly about mm-hmm. that. And, and actually, I, there's nothing but love between us mm-hmm. now, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and in fact, I certainly on this side, and as far as I can tell on his side, yeah. I saw him for the first time, um, like literally from about 20 years distance, I saw him about two years ago. There was, so there was this, for no real reason, we just separate trajectories yeah. or whatever. And then I happened to be in, uh, in Sheffield at the documentary festival promoting my Scientology movie. He was there with what was then his latest film and... And we had a little reunion, and I found it quite emotional. Oh yeah, yeah, it's quite. It was quite something. Did he? Do you think he felt that way too? I don't <laughs> think he probably did as much because he's got very little. He's still to be grateful. I don't think so. I think he's got. He hasn't got very much to be grateful to me for, other than being a kind of diligent worker on his TV show. Whereas he he really did me a solid. Yeah. By taking a risk with me. And so when I saw him, the first thing I said was, I said, you know, I'm so sorry it's been so long, Michael. Like, I, I just want to say I've never really had a chance to thank you properly for everything you did for me. You know, uh, everything that I've done, really, every success that I've had has been dependent on the fact that you took a chance on me. And, 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 and I wish, you know, I wish I could, I just want to let you know how grateful I am. Mm. And then I was aware in the act of saying it, mm. Which, well, I, by the way, I hadn't prepped that. You just sort of, one of those things that I suddenly thought, do you know what? That's what I should be saying right yeah, now. Yeah. And it came out and I sort of felt a little bit of a surge of, in that man way, I thought, what's this unfamiliar feeling? <laughs> emotion. <laughs> yeah. it's, an, it's an emotion. Uh, I, I think, yes, it is. Because do you know what? I'm feeling something catching in my throat and that is a sign of a sort of bittersweet feeling of emotion and sadness. Beep, 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 beep. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? My robot yeah, yeah, yeah. personality yeah, yeah. was like, I detect it <laughs> and um, scan for emotion. Uh, Do you and not feel that very often? I don't feel, I'm not, I don't tear up as a rule. And not to say I teared up in this, no, but, but, I, but yeah. I, I thought if I, you know how you have that feeling like, oh, I could cry now. Yeah. yeah. If, if I went with it. as well, don't you, a little bit. Your I don't know that I get it. In, no. That I call indigestion. Yeah. <laughs> it's a so similar you. one. <laughs> I, you know, you think like if I could go with this, yeah. but I don't think I will. You know, it's very, and then you, and then you, you, you contain it, don't you? Throttle yeah. it, throttle yeah. that You're emotion, out, <laughs> push it back, back into the box, <laughs> yeah. get back into yeah. the box. How dare but you? Very occasionally, you? for example, maybe when drunk, you might decide, yeah. or or extremely overwhelmed. I don't know why I'm even talking about this. Birth of a child, maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, or just extreme tiredness. Yeah. You know, lack of sleep and then bizarre. Like, you know, bizarre things like lack of sleep and then a certain song and, and then... Yeah. yeah, music's got an what's amazing going on. way of doing that. And, and, was, and was he receptive to your, your Michael, thanks? Michael, he, he, he did. And then he said, I'll never... See you again. He said, I'll never <laughs> see you again. Get away from me. Get away from me. I don't know this guy. Calling the hounds. Um, you know what he said was like, you know, I can't remember exactly, but it was a long time. Thank, you know, you're welcome and thanks. It's good to yeah, see you yeah. too. And, 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 and then he said, and I'll never forget when you were on the show working as an intern photocopying. And I said, this, 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 that guy's got something about him. He should be on television. 
Now, what I didn't say was I never worked as an intern, nor did I ever do any photocopying. Like, in other words, my Genesis story, he yeah, got yeah. wrong. He okay, got wrong. So in his mind, you were just this little kind of... In his mind, making the tea he'd melded various different uh, yeah. people. I think I'd become a... Oh, okay. You were generic. Composite kind of in his in British his mind inter. of various people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who else, but I, I never. I got hired as a correspondent and writer. Um, I, they didn't put my back up. I just thought, fair enough. You know, he's. And why would he remember as clearly? It was. It was obviously yeah, sure. not as significant. Why would it be? It, I guess him. there were some amazing interns at the, at the time. There might. might have you been. stood out from the other interns. Yeah. Perhaps he, thought he was home. Was Perhaps he thought I was the worst intern because I've never seen him <laughs> do any photocopying and he's not brought me any copy. <laughs> he's been waiting 20 been years waiting to make that since. point. What, um, so at what point did you realise that you were sort of fascinated with the weird stuff? When did that become sort of your, your you know, thing? That's an interesting question because I, um, I'm writing a book at the moment, a sort of professional memoir, and I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying not to be, too sort of present-minded. Do you know that term? Where is it used in history? Where they talk about um, you read what you know of the of the present back into your understanding of the past, and yeah. you tend to slightly misleadingly tease out yeah. precursors. And I, it was definitely not the case that I grew up thinking I'm going to be on TV and make programs about weird people. I was very much a directionless, um, sort of studious and curious person, but who had no real inkling of where he would end up, right? I think I was naturally interested in uh, offbeat, uh, different, bizarre, troubling, sort of emotionally awkward subjects. You know, going back very far, alongside all my other interests, that was present. I think later on, when I, I sort of drifted into journalism after I left university really out of a lack of any other kind of clue as to what I might do and I'd written some articles some newspaper a few student newspaper articles and and movie reviews Um, so I thought well I guess I'll do that I think because my dad's a writer I thought I'll probably maybe be a writer although I don't know if I'm any good at it but you know maybe that encouraged by you my dad had not only encouraged I sort of think that he thought really that was the only okay serious job that you could have mm. I mean he wouldn't have said like said it like that but he I, I think my brother for example is a novelist I have three uncles who are all writers and novelists on, his side, trade, on my dad's it? side my dad and three two or three of his brothers <clears throat> so it's sort of the family business and um I think my feeling was well that's sort of what you're supposed to do but I think I was also aware that I don't think I, I think I might not have what it takes and so I thought, well, I'll start in journalism. And then while working in journalism, I began drifting. I, I saw the subjects I found more interesting tended to be weird subjects. Mm. But, you know, there's a limited market for, in terms of the jobs on offer, mm. I was mainly, t- to start with, covering quite boring things. I was doing uh, local news. Oh, uh, okay. Council meetings oh, and yeah. zoning laws and stuff like that. And then on the side, I got to write occasional articles. This was living, I was living in San Jose at this time okay. in California. How old were you? How old were this you was then? when I was uh, 21. Okay, so you were quite young. Yeah, yeah. straight out of... I had a, a sort of about six months of drifting after I left university. That was the summer of 91. I went, I went to America and thought, well, I don't really know what, know what the next step is. And 
for someone who'd been, I'd applied myself incredibly studiously at, at university, got a very good degree, and then it was like, well, now what do I, I you know, that's, I don't know if you had it, I, yeah. I had this feeling like, well, now what do I do? No one said, every stage of my life until then felt like it had a, um, I was sort of running in, I was sort of running in the grooves of some yeah. predetermined outcome. After that, I was like, okay, the road ends here. Yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's just desert with no signposts. Where do I go now? And um, so I went to America thinking, well, at least I'll leave the UK. That'll be different. And then I mooched at my dad's house in, in Cape Cod in America for a couple of months, sort of saying, well, it's all right, I'm on my summer holidays. And then when that was finished, I went to live with my brother in Boston, sleeping on his floor. He was starting out working for a local TV station and not knowing what else to do I took a job in a glass blowing shop uh, just doing sort of casual manual labour helping I mean I don't want to get too I wasn't blowing it he what the the owner wasn't blowing he was sculpting it okay I was holding his punty rod which is not as (laughs) obscene it's not as obscene as as it sounds he had a very long rod and it would heat up did it have? Was it quite long and thin? Was it quite long and thin? and red at the end. When he red when, at the end. it was red at the end because um, it had glass on the end. Uh, wow! Quite naturally, which you would heat up and then twist, and um, and you shove it in an oven. Sh- are we still doing an extended metaphor or not? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would heat it up, and then he would hand it over to him, and he would twist it. And then after a couple of months, I'm thinking, <laughs> Sorry, it's not getting any better. No, no lose the, That's not in my head now. I'm quite serious about. No, I'm not. Yeah. No, the um, I, you know, it's one of the things where you're doing, it and you're like, yeah. you're doing it thinking like this isn't going to lead anywhere. But I guess I've got to, I guess I've got to do something. I yeah. mean, and, you know, and you know, I've just graduated, so I'm allowed to have some, some sort of um, years of of confusion yeah but after t- I'm not that good with sort of indirection do you know what I mean in other words it comes so naturally oh, to okay. me that I I sort of think like well, what's the plan I, I need something to tell me I need to be locked into a structure where it's like yeah. yes you're doing a good job I need yeah, someone yeah. I need some sort of, I need deadlines I need structure I need a process so after two months of that I applied to work on a local paper in San Jose and that, so that's what happened and then that was the end of the class playing that was I put it behind me. I did Google like the guy to see we were making cherub goblets. You know we could talk about that for the rest of the afternoon. But well, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. how, how, we made cherub goblets with go- and they were gilt and and and, mm. and, and, and um, they were incredibly sort of grandiose and, and kind of ridiculous. I still have some of them, and they would sell for vast sums. But well, they, they were bespoke. Were they were they for? Like, they were like, semi bespoke in as much as it was the guilty secret was the bowl. And the base of the of the goblet yeah. was basically bought on mass, like in, they they were just off the shelf from some outlet. And we would, I would, my job in addition to the punty rod was to break uh, and separate the, the stem, break off the stem, and then this cherub, this kind of um, glass cherub that had been made in a cast, was glued between the bowl and the base. Oh, well. And then the only bespoke bit was the cloud, a little cloud. A little bit of hair, oh, and a penis. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then we got complaints. Did you do the, the penis? Did you do the penis? I think the, we got some complaints. No, every, all the bespoke glass work was done by Tony. Okay. And that's the only bit really that had any claim to being classy or artistic. Right. Because they were advertised as being done according to this technique called the Masiccio technique. And that was the only bit that was Masiccio technically. It was a Venetian glass twisting technique. And so the pe- and then we got some complaints from shops saying <laughs> either the penis was too big or that the penis was too sharp and people were cutting it. Too their sharp? Head. I don't know. I'm slightly <laughs> making that up. But it was like there was a danger. If people you, getting cut on these. You could. I like, guess you could. Penis. I don't think anyone cut their hand on the penis. But the, really what it was was some people were troubled by This is America, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. So a, 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 it's like, well, we, we don't know if our customers are comfortable with cherubs with penises. So please make... So asexual cherubs then? I just think they like, thought... They don't even want that in their head. Like, no. this cherub's penis is bigger than that cherub's <laughs> penis. Do you know what I mean? They just don't want that. I'm not sure I do know what you mean, but I, I, I'm trying to... Uh, they don't even yeah. want that customers complaining about. <laughs> yeah. Or, my, my cherub's penis is too big. <laughs> and so, it was like after that, they, he would do a, um, oh, okay. a kind of wisp of loincloth. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So, that's, 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 and, th- and then he'd put some gold leaf on. But uh, I don't know that Tony's in the glass business anymore oh, because as part of God. researching my book, I was like, you know, you go down these rabbit holes. Of, sure, yeah. You know, I should do a little research, find out what Tony's doing now. Um, he gave me my first job. Yeah. In a way, he yeah, gave yeah. me my break, not Michael Moore. Yeah. I just <laughs> yeah. chose not to go. But I was thinking, if you met up with it Tony, break you that would start feeling that, have that feeling again and start Be like, Tony, up, I just want to say <laughs> that was the biggest waste of time. <laughs> you really focused me. Um, by giving me an idea of exactly what I didn't want to do. Yeah. No, that's a bit unfair. But, but you know, those kind of like mundane jobs often do, though. They make you, I mean, I've done, worked in bookshops and all sorts of things, like sort of slightly mundane jobs where it gives you your mind a time times a freedom to think of all those more exciting things you could be doing yeah it definitely did that in some way in as much as it i started getting grandiose visions of i should be writing a um a, a, a novel or a a sort of super conceptual historical book like a history of dreams or i began keeping pretentious notebooks because you did history at university. Yeah, and you? I was attracted to philosophy, and I was reading a lot of Nietzsche and and sort of Sturm und Drang kind of literature, like Knut Hampson. Do you have you read him? No, I he haven't. Wrote, uh, read Nietzsche, but I haven't. Hunger is great. It's sort of in a Nietzschean vein, and he was a Norwegian writer. Although Hunger is the only one I've read. How apropos in the Nordic cafe? Yeah, I know. I've Norwegian that. writer who who is who, but, and Hunger specifically is about this sort of arrogant but indigent young writer who's trying to make his way but has is, is so poor that he's got nothing to eat but he's sort of declaring war on the world so it's sort of angry and and not exactly pretentious because it's very plainly written it's very hard-boiled which is one of the appealing things when you read it i mean even beyond hemingway it's almost like chandler-esque oh okay. i got up yeah, yeah. i looked to the window felt disgusted at the scum of humanity walking past I then I wrote for 14 hours it <laughs> yeah, was a God. book about the crimes of the future then I went outside you know you know it's like yeah. it reads almost like contemporary um, prose which is one of its appeals maybe so I've got him a few readers so you wanted to write something like that did you think I wasn't so much that although I liked his writing but it was more that it, I, I identified as a sort of as a sort of 
uh, over-intellectual guy w- working in a glass-blowing or a glass-sculpting studio and feeling under-acknowledged by the world. A right? bit Bukowski-esque, I guess. I suppose, yeah. yeah. He's another one. Although, have yeah. you ever read John... I think it's called John Fante. I don't who, think who, I... Who Bukowski mm. acknowledges as his big influence. Oh, okay. And he's very much like that as well. And he's about a guy writing a novel called um, The Cow Jumped... No, The Little Dog Laughed, it's called. And he's he's angry and he hates the world and he sits in a cafe in California, though, mm. in the sort of 1940s. It's really worth a read, that Yeah, one that sounds well. good. It's sort of like novels and books of alienation yeah. and um, sort of existential angst. There's a sort of small shelf of those of which... So were you feeling a bit like that yourself Another then? one is... Um, Jean-Paul Sartre's stories, Le Mur, I was going to say, et autre conte, but that sounds <laughs> fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. I've, I've read it in, in, in English. Yeah, I, yeah. My French isn't good enough, but I just prefer using the French title because it sounds, sounds more good, cool yeah. and yeah, pretentious. Does, yeah. So were you an angry young man, though, while you were... <clears throat> um, for, for about two months, yeah. Yeah, and for then about you, two then months you, I was. You, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I feel I don't think I feel qualified, or e- I think even at that time I wouldn't have felt qualified to really be an angry young man. Mm. I, I was too aware of the privilege I'd been born into sure. and my material advantages in life. But I definitely aspired to have some of those feelings. Yeah. It's pretty sad, isn't it? How does no. this sound? Because some of this is in my book, and does it just sound like I'm being a dick? No, not <laughs> No. I've enjoyed it. It's fascinating. No, no, I don't think so at all. Because I think those, like I say to you, those moments sometimes they focus you into, a, into doing something that you actually want to do. I think it's a very understandable... I think for someone who's a little bit sensitive, as many, if not most of us, and then you feel like, you know what, I've been working all this time and now I don't really know what I'm supposed to do I think do. it's quite yeah. normal for people to come out of university and have and people be a bit lost and we're so, this is about blank moments this and podcast, then you, and so, you so, borrow into yeah, yourself yeah. and that's what I found and and it doesn't take long uh, especially you're in a city where you don't know anyone Boston other than my brother mm. my dad wasn't living there he was uh, either travelling or down on Cape Cod or most of the time he was in Hawaii where he was. so I was very much on my own most of the time and just sort of think I don't get what the next step is I really don't get it. So did TV ever cross your mind at that point, or was it just the writing? No, no. I wouldn't have even known what, like, in what capacity. Like, if someone said, like, would you like to be a TV writer or, or, or a movie director, I would have said, well, I, I guess I like the idea of that, but I have no clue as to how that works or how you do it. I think I just thought, well, I've written some articles that people said were funny. So I think I could maybe do that. Although the idea of doing research and calling people up made me a bit nervous. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I thought, I haven't done that. What yeah. happens? You call them up and then do they tell you to piss off? Yeah, or, yeah. Or do they answer Are they, the are they receptive to you? Yeah. yeah. I don't know how. So, so, and then once I got stuck in... Uh, in, in San Jose at a paper it was a free weekly called The Metro quite quickly it became clearer oh you can just call people up and yeah. research is not and, that and they only occasionally tell you to sometimes off. they do but most of the time yeah. they're quite obliging and don't mind yeah. being called you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, like, some quite like it yeah people do like it sometimes yeah, yeah. 
So, and at that point, I thought, oh, wow, you could actually... I, I started out on an internship, meaning I was doing... I got paid, but only a pittance. Yeah. So I was on a work placement scheme. But when I began getting paid, I thought, wow, you actually can get paid to, to, to write words down. Yeah. Um, that's great. That was a revelation. I mean, I knew it existed, but to be yeah. to, to be doing it felt like a was a pleasant um, change of reality. <laughs> Jim, it's us again, and uh, we've got some big news. We have indeed, uh, Giles. I can't believe I'm saying this. We've written a book, a book about blank moments, based on this very podcast. Yeah. We've been recording this podcast for a while now, and as we've been doing, we've realised that everyone has these difficult blank moments. All our wonderful guests that we have on the podcast and our listeners get in touch with us all the time to tell us about their own situations, their own experiences of blank moments. And sometimes that can be from a personal life, from their career, the relationships they're in, or maybe it's a public situation. Yeah, I mean... It really, it's one of those terms that could be applied to anything. Social anxiety, imposter syndrome, just sort of generally being off form, having an identity crisis. I mean, it's all part of the human condition. And yet we all get thrown off from time to time and sort of made to feel a bit helpless. Yeah, so the book is made up of all these different chapters that sort of concentrate on these various themes that come up in the pod. So whether it's uh, public failure, social anxiety, fear, mental health, grief, all the things that our amazing guests have talked about on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, and those guests include Louis Theroux, David Harbour, Reg D. Hunter, Dawn French, Rachel Paris, Amanda Abington, John Ronson, Rufus Sewell, Gary Lineker, all these people that really opened up to us about these difficult moments. And what we've done is we've dived into them, um, explained how we relate to them, talked a little bit about our own experiences and almost gone on a journey of this discovering blank moments and how they've helped us. And we hopefully we take the reader on a journey with us. Yeah, there's loads of stuff in there for everybody, I think. It's a bit memoir, it's a bit self-help, and there's lots of interactive bits in there as well, so you can do your own gratitude list, and there's tips on uh, if you're having sleeping problems. So all different things that you can take out of the book. And where can people get hold of this book, Jim? Well, so it comes out in March in 2021, but it's available to pre-order right now from Amazon, waterstones.com, and hive.co.uk. Yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to everyone getting their hands on it. And uh, hopefully lots of people will be able to identify their own blank moments. And you never know what you might find out. And when, you're, when you're at the San Jose paper and you're doing the boring stories on the, the council stuff, yeah. and that, but then you're getting to maybe on the side do the more human yeah. interest stories. Do you think that has helped you with your career later on? Definitely. Having to sort of tap in this way into this American way of life uh, uh, and seeing it from a different kind of Definitely. angle. Definitely, yeah. Uh, that was huge. The, I felt it, I was doing an, apprentice, an apprenticeship sort of in American studies. Yeah. And um, though I'd been to America most summers growing up with my dad, that was our summer holiday routine, we, were, we, we just went and stayed in, in the house where he was... It was in the middle of the woods in, in, in Cape Cod. We'd go to the beach, catch up with family members, but we never... Um, other than watching a bit of TV and meeting, you know, speaking to our cousins and uncles and stuff, it was a very narrow experience of America. And so the idea of being in San Jose, which is... Though it's California, it's a very middle American city mm. by Californian standards. 
There's no showbiz. It doesn't have um, the San Francisco bohemian thing. The best, and I'm fond of San Jose because it sort of it was my education in some ways. But the best you could say in terms of its claims to fame is that it's Silicon Valley. Yeah. So it, so it, in some ways it's incubated that vast high tech industry, but it only kind of in a limited way because actually most of those you know Apple's not in San Jose. Most um, Hewlett Packard and IBM, most of those are in a few a little way outside San Jose. So you don't go there thinking like I'm in a kind of um, Oz of high tech, a kind of glittering, um, you know, edifices of um, high tech invention. Doesn't feel like that. Feels like an overgrown farm town with mm. a few banking buildings, like you know, like mini skyscraper. That's like a sad yeah, thing yeah. that some regional cities have, where they have a bit like Croydon, where they have skyscrapers that when you get to cl- close you're like oh it's a really small skyscraper it's not actually scrape it's just a scraping yeah yeah like a few upper air molecules do you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. it's not scraping the sky no it's just you you know what i mean yeah and it's got that and 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 so um so all of that was an education in in sort of middle american i don't know culture and, and 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 just being exposed to um I don't know, like politics, and you just incre- you, you, by osmosis you start absorbing how America mm. worked. I didn't have a TV, which was in some ways a limitation, but 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 by rubbing shoulders with people and, and in the workplace, and then also in a professional sense, sort of learning a little bit about how to write articles and specifically, mm. but well, news and human interest because I'd never really read much in the way of magazines growing up. All newspaper. I remember the first time I covered a fire, I came and turned in the copy. It was a Chinese restaurant that had burned down. Well, not down, but it had been, it, it had been, there'd been a yeah. quite serious fire there. And I turned in the copy and it said, the air was acrid as people milled around outside the thing and the clouds were t- tousled and the wind drifted through. And, and, they, and, and my editor said, you know, have you, do you know about the inverted pyramid? And I was like, ah, oh, no. You know, you really do need to start with the most important information, which might not be the tousled clouds. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, so what would it be like? Well, was anyone hurt? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'll find out. So, so it was that thing it was of the like, aesthetic that you Yeah, I was for, sort of yeah. doing a mood piece. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like basics like that, you yeah, know, and, sure, other, yeah. and plenty of other things where you just sort of and, – and I suppose the biggest thing is being, not being precious about your prose – sort of getting the job done to a deadline yeah and all of that because I never went to journalism school so mm. I guess that was the closest thing was I mean I sometimes I still feel the lack of it of not going to journalism school tiny bit oh really you tiny still, yeah. bit yeah because there's a there's certain nuts and bolts things that I was never really taught about I mean I'm specifically I think thinking about libel law and and when you're doing a piece that is which I, I haven't often done, but that could be construed as either libelous or heavily critical with no access where you're making assertions. Quite late in life, I realized, oh, you really have to be careful mm. or, you, or you get into trouble. But that was for later. I mean, I think the basics I did cover um, on the job. I, uh, I used to work in local news as well. My first job out of university was for my local paper in Seven Oaks in Kent, and I got threatened to be sued for a quarter of a million pounds. It's scary. Yeah, for writing any, a little, just a little down what page. Was the, what was the... Um, it was a man that was selling his chicken shed. No, sorry, pigeon shed. He was a pigeon fancier or breeder. 
and I said that he was selling two chicken, uh, two pigeon sheds, oh. and he said that that libelled him and devalued his house by a quarter of a million pounds, oh which he God. was trying to sell at the time. You and it was an honest mistake. What was the news yeah. value in that piece? <laughs> I think all the, that, all, that's a very small piece. It's very <laughs> local news, isn't it? Because I was I was pigeon correspondent for the Seven Notes Chronicle. I wasn't really. Um, People have been complaining as neighbours because all the pigeons have been pooing on their cars. Oh, and so oh, it was a meeting, town council meeting, and they were like, can you please get rid of your pigeons? And I said he had so many pigeons, and he actually only had a few pigeons. But it's so easy to get that wrong. And who would have thought? How, did he actually write you a legal letter? Or? He wrote the paper a letter and a said, threatened. I want the money from the paper and the reporter. And I was really? like a junior reporter. It didn't go anywhere. We printed an apology, and I think that was went away. enough. Yeah, But it was scary it to is get scary. that letter. It really is scary. scary, but you found that more on the on a larger scale. Are you talking with regards to TV stuff? <laughs> Later, yeah, I've talked about this a bit. I think it's been in print. I'm not sure, but basically, after my Scientology movie came out, um, they're terrible, aren't they? Scientologists. I, 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 I got a. Um, well, what was tricky was the 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 the, the film was legaled up to the eyeballs. In mm. fact, there was sort of you know, six or seven months of editing and then another sort of three months of legal reviews and tweaks and tiny phrases being put in and taken out and disclaimers just to make it watertight. I mean, and that process was a revelation. I'd never been through anything like it. But then as it turned out, I, in the act of promoting the film, tweeted something that was construed as libelous by David Miscavige's lawyer, his personal lawyer, based okay. in Northern Ireland. And um, they sent a legal letter, and without going into all the um, chapter and verse on it, uh, I had to kind of lawyer up myself. Oh, really? It was slightly okay. on my own because it didn't fall under the remit of the BBC or the movie producers because it was my personal Twitter feed. Oh, okay, yeah. And that, in a way... You know, you realise that actually when you're under the auspices of a big institution like the BBC, you sort of don't worry too much. I think they've got your back. And they do have yeah. your back. And then when it's yourself, you suddenly think, oh, yeah. I've strayed out of the castle, sort of naked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and after dark, and suddenly the wolves are there, and you're like, oh, I didn't realise it was like this. I've lost my minders. And... Um, and I, I ended up having to pay, spend quite a lot of money to lawyer up and, and sort of fight back. And it, it went away in the end, mm. but it was, it was a stressful... Because in the yeah, film, you months. get some legal documents. Yeah, and that's all for, that yeah. was all under the auspices okay. of BBC. And, and we made a feature of it. Mm. I mean, and that was quite enjoyable. And, and in, in a way, what's been, what was interesting when the film came out was People enjoyed... I mean, I always thought that would be part of the storytelling sure. of the film would be that they would... Um, we'd make use of their heavy-handed tactics. Yeah. And and then once the film was over, I, I had no further use for that conflict. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was ready to get on with my life and then was exposed on my own. Did you think that was a possibility, though, having, you know, obviously the, the documentary, um, a, lot of, a lot of it's on Marty. Mm. Um and the the kind of barrage of abuse that he gets wherever he goes. Did yeah. you feel that that was a, a possibility of that happening? To me, yeah, I thought it was possible but highly unlikely. Mm. Because actually increasingly, when we were making the film, it, I was aware that they were saving their worst 
sort of, or let's say most uh, energetic kind of counter tactics for ex-members who are speaking out. The, the days of being really heavy with journalists um, were sort of 70s, 80s, 90s. And, and, then, and then increasingly, when they're heavy with journalists now, it's while they're engaged in the project. Right, I sort okay. of knew, my, my sense was a little like the eye of Sauron. Remember there's a bit in the third instalment of The Lord of the yeah, Rings yeah, yeah. where they're trying to protect Frodo and Sam. And they'll sort of go wave their hands. And they so. kind of wave their hands and <laughs> yeah, they're at the gates here. of Mordor right, going yeah. like, we need to save them by distracting Sauron. And literally the eye, this sort of burning eye swivels yeah. and points in another direction. I think it's very close okay. in almost every sense <laughs> yeah. to how Scientology yeah. operates. And, that, and once, like Leah Remini started her TV series... And and they didn't have the sort of maybe manpower, resources, interest, or inclination to to come after me mm. quite quickly after that last thing was the um, was when the, uh, the, the there were the threats of legal suit over a tweet, and then once the film came out, they I think they'd moved on. Okay. There were one or two things where I thought, oh, is this them hacking me? But mm. you never really know who's hacking you. Because I was going to ask, like you obviously you get involved quite heavily with your subjects whenever you're doing a documentary and I wondered how much of that comes home with you mm. you know do, do you take on a, an emotional burden sometimes when you're especially when you're particularly deep in a subject I think um, you know it's something I've been asked a few times and I, I think most of the time honestly no and I think that's because uh, for various reasons I think one is it's a group endeavour, so I'm, I'm, we sort of share the load a bit between myself, the director, and the AP. And in some ways, the director, and especially the AP, the assistant producer, take more of the emotional load. Like, the AP is this sort of invisible figure behind the scenes who develops the relationship before I start filming and then continues the relationship after I've finished filming, hand-holding through the sometimes stressful process of maybe viewing the program which mm -hmm. sometimes happens and um dealing with fallout from the program like unkind remarks on twitter and so i'm protected from that now i do get to know the people clearly in form a relationship and sometimes an attachment but unless i feel like the person's really at risk um and and in some way not in the best place that they should be you know that 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 situation would cause me disquiet. But other than that, for the most part, especially with these stories about people of extreme vulnerability, mm -hmm. we choose to follow them in environments where they feel supported. For the most part, in 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 in, in so for example, in the film about um, people who choose to end their lives who have got terminal illnesses. Um, I think it's called Choosing Death. It was part of the Altered State series. Mm. And many people responded to Gus, who we see literally on his deathbed. And, and the feeling of sadness, which was undoubtedly there. But what I saw in Gus was someone who'd made his own decision and was supported by his family. And, 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 and so along with the, the understandable sadness of the bereavement and someone ending their life, there was also this very redemptive feeling of someone who'd chosen to go out in the way they wanted to and who'd lived a really full life and who had a lovely family. And and so I saw it not necessarily as really completely, you know, it, along with the sadness, there's this sort of other feelings 
you know, of of a kind of person doing what what they wanted and mm. making the best mm. of a of the situation, which is mortality, which we all face. Yeah. Do you do you have? Or is this part about blank moments? With all the stories you cover, do you find there are moments where you think I can't keep reporting on this, or it's not gone the way you thought, or it's just been too emotional? Where you have to step back or anything like that. When, Any when you sort say of blank, blank moments. moments, what do you understand by that? Well, it's an interpretive term okay, for, for it's our a really guests. Good get out from yeah, our, <laughs> our <laughs> guests. But anything really, moments maybe where you felt it would be unprofessional to go on, or moments where you felt you hadn't made that connection with someone, or the story fell apart for whatever reason. Yes, to all of the above. I mean, it goes wrong. You can go wrong in it in, in any number of ways. Yeah. And one is that. Um, there is just um, no story, you know, or no story that we can tell. And and it's not that the subject's not sort of interesting. It's just not interesting in a way that I find I can get my teeth into it. We tried to do a... I mean, that's happened quite a few times. And mm. even to, usually you weed it out in the research stage. And that's why research goes on months. Sometimes ideas take years yeah. to percolate and to, become, to get to the point where we feel we can commit to them. But sometimes you get to the point you commit, you go out and shoot. There's a recce first. Like the, the team goes out and does a recce, meets contributors, comes back. We look at tape, um, or it'll be digital now. But and you say like, okay, I think there's something there. Let's go do it. And you go out, and then after a few weeks, or, or, or usually be a few days on location, there's a feeling of, do you know what? It just isn't quite happening. Mm. The one that springs to mind is we tried because it got all the hallmarks of a good story. Is MMA mixed martial arts. Mm bit like wrestling, a uh, bit like boxing, but notionally more extreme. And, and, and we went out, and it was supposed to be mixed along with, um, mixed up with a story of backyard brawling. And to cut a long story short, it just became clear that it's really a sports story. And, and, and there was no, it wasn't, in some ways, in terms of the, the brutality, it's in some ways less extreme than boxing because the bouts are over very quickly and um <clears throat> it's certainly less cartoonish than wrestling yeah and so i after a few days i just like i don't get it like in other mm. words i, I don't get the fa- what's sort of what there is to pick at here the guys are just doing something that's relatively safe albeit kind of a bit scary like if you're not into physical mm. yeah roughy tufty stuff but but they're into that no there's nerves before they do it it's not massively sort of anguish inducing so we let we let it go and then you know so from time to time that's never a good feeling uh, but it does it does happen I was, and also sometimes i guess you've embraced maybe those moments i was just thinking back to the like blank the Mi- moments well, like the michael jackson one yeah. for example where you couldn't get access to that was to one of the only times we've done that yeah and it would be nice to feel you could always do that and i think we all we went into that knowing it's michael jackson but yeah of course there's a high likelihood he's not going to rock up it, and yeah. say okay hi louis yeah i love weird weekends can i do an interview with you is it okay if bubbles <laughs> so we and, and that was yeah. an experimental piece Another one was we did about um, it was uh, Ike Turner, and it was in the era oh, of, okay. of when Louis Metz. So we'd done a couple like Paul Daniels and Jimmy Savile, and and I think it might even have been after that where we committed to let's do a whole bunch of these. And for whatever reason, Ike Turner was the first one that we sort of said yes to, and I think we were 
the idea that was appealing was, oh, well, he, he'll he be like Lawrence Fishburne in What's Love Got to Do With It? This sort okay, of yeah, yeah. Uh, highly strung but um, intense, intense and rather yeah, charismatic. Yeah. Well, he was of all those things, but he was almost so high. What we didn't get that was this vulnerability. And, and actually, when you're with him, he's so... He, what, he's dead now, but he was so highly strung and sensitive that... You almost couldn't get your questions out, and he just didn't like talking about the whole Tina thing. It was right, so acutely okay. painful to him that just a reference to Tina, yeah. he would disappear. Oh, he didn't okay. go like, "Why are you bringing that up?" He would just leave the room and call his agent and okay. say, oh, "These motherfuckers keep bringing up <laughs> Tina. I thought you told me they weren't going to talk about Tina." And 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 then we realize oh, oh we really want to talk of, about that's that the end of today's <laughs> filming and yeah, then you know yeah. next day we go back and it's he like, might be in a different mood shall we bring up tina like well what else yeah sure yeah. talk about <laughs> the whole thing is premised on the idea that yeah he, he you know he, he's this poster boy for spousal abuse yeah yeah we, like, we're not going to talk about his guitar picking style <laughs> yeah. you know and so uh that fizzled out yeah. after about two filming trips so there's been a few like that but then there's other ways it goes wrong where in a way, you try and build in a margin of error with the film, like this contributors you, who, for whatever reason, you don't make the connection with, or um, their story exists in a better form with someone else. So you you know you drop that that story, or I mean I'm trying to think. So in terms of stories not working out. Um, there's various ways it can go wrong. And then in terms of blankness, I mean, blankness is this sort of ever-present risk that exists in in my world in which um, I try to keep things fresh and I'm constantly aware of the need not to repeat myself. And and at the same time, stories are quite hard to come by. In t- you know, there's a certain, there is a certain DNA to the stories that I'm interested in, which is to do with a level of, seriousness and angst combined with human connection um and to keep that going and and to but but to keep it fresh involves it's over the years it's involved sometimes weeks or months in which there's been a feeling on the production of like well what do we do now because nothing on the storyboard looks realistic or or achievable or or interesting Giles, we have uh, something exciting to announce here in the middle of the podcast, um, and that is that we are launching blank merchandise. It's official. No way. Proper, <laughs> proper merchandise. Proper merchandise. So if our listeners would like to buy blank merchandise, they can go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank, and you can get, well, you can get a range of things, can't you? You can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs. What else? Baby grows? Baby grows, because I'm sure... You know, there's a lot of babies out there that love the Blank Podcast. Um, I know mine does. Um, and you can also get... The, we've got various um, designs, haven't we? We've got one that's got our Blank logo on, uh, and then mm-hmm. we've got two that are inspired by pod guests. Yeah, one of them was inspired by Rebecca Callard, who was on, I think, the eighth episode of the Blank Pod. Mm. And hers was to do with her video collection, which we were 
talked about at some length and we thought that what video library which was the video shop i worked in back in the 90s was an excellent name for a romantic <laughs> band of the 1980s <laughs> yeah and then you made this uh, this great uh, what looks like album cover of you and me with um hair from flock of seagulls um so we mm-hmm. thought you know what let's make that into a design so you can get that on t-shirts and hoodies and, and sweatshirts and then we've got one that's inspired by sanjeev baskar when he talked about the three different stages of blank fearful blank neutral blank and happy blank and we've turned that into a design as well so um we've got various uh, designs that people can can get um and in different colors as well I'm, I'm very excited by this charles i'm really excited it feels like we're a proper thing now it does indeed um so if our listeners would would like to buy some merch um the t-shirts for example are 18 quid um the hoodies are 27 quid uh the tote bags are 17 quid and mugs are 15 quid and of course we do get a small cut as well of of everything that's sold so if you'd like to support the pod um then you can do it in this way and you'll get yourself some exclusive blank merchandise so go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank sometimes it comes down to that that's not a Louis Farouk story do you know what I, I think mean? always because they all have to I mean without I mean I know your your documents have evolved obviously the weird weekends yeah. through to you know now with the Water states and you uh, there's been a, an evolution but you know is there still like uh that's that's something that would engage me it's got conflict it's got angst it's got those things and that's the thing that's harder to find now yeah I mean that, that that's the sort of such as it is, formula. And I think over the years it's been a case of trying to um, remove certain criteria that inhibit us from doing good stories, you know, by opening ourselves up to different areas of life. So, for example, in the early days, Weird Weekends were supposed to be funny. So a big big sort of uh, change or evolution was when the first time we did a story that wasn't that funny... And it's debatable when that happened, you know, but, but basically sort of saying, do you know what, this might not be that funny, <clears throat> but we'll do it anyway. I think the first time it came, because for a lot of times in the early days, we can't do that, it's not funny. Mm. And I, almost to the point of privileging stories that were slightly weaker because they were funny, I could participate in them, mm. but maybe the, they weren't the most um, chewy stories. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, so, for example, Demolition Derby was one, or Off-Broadway which, when you look at them, they're slightly like episodes of Duncan Dares. Yeah. The Broadway one, because you... Really yeah. <laughs> particularly because you really get yeah. in on the act, as it were. Yeah, which I mean... <laughs> yeah. And in the Demo Derby, I get into it. But yeah. Any, sign, any film in which the climax was me participating, the Home Shopping Network one is another yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, is, I mean, as good as they are in their way... <laughs> I'm, I like them. I like all my children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, they, they definitely aren't the most oomphy if that's a word yeah and, we'll go, um, yeah, and, like and so then later on i think i proposed a story i think it first happened when i proposed a story on a brothel mm. and i remember my exec at the time saying well that's not that funny is it 
And and then it was like, well, I don't know. Let's we haven't got Could anything. Else. We, we are, I don't know, but we've got nothing else. You know, the, back then, I was trying to do a Scientology film. I was like, well, the Scientology film is not working, and there is literally nothing else that we can do. So it may not be that funny, but we've got we've got to do it. Um, so we did it, and then it turned out. Do you know what? It is quite funny in places, there are moments but of more humor, importantly, but yeah. it was a really yeah interesting and engaging program so then and then time passed and we did one about san quentin prison yeah. same thing came up not very funny is it and the feeling was well maybe not that funny but actually it might be interesting so all right fine so that was an incremental so process. funny was the go-to at that point was uh, it? well funny had been regarded as a necessary precondition of doing mm. a story and letting go of that opened a lot of stories. I mean, whether that relates directly to blankness, I'm not sure, except that the threat of blankness yeah. is the yeah, yeah. Is sort of incentivizing factor. And then later on, the second sort of development was, oh, well, w- w- what about something on people with Alzheimer's and dementia? And then, then it wasn't like, clearly it's not that funny. Although this humor, you know, in life, yeah. so that you, I always rely on you the fact that there's going to be yeah. some humour in life. But, but it's also that actually no one's even doing anything wrong or dubious. You know, in prison and brothel, you've got people violating sure, social yeah, yeah, norms. Yeah. No one's doing anything very wrong when when they're involved with a condition like Alzheimer's or dementia. And so it's like, well, we've got nothing else. That's all we've mm-hmm. got. You know, we've run out of people doing things that are wrong. So I'm afraid it's dementia. <laughs> it's going to illness now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we did it, and actually it was a really solid yeah. program. So again, it was sort of a case of the threat of obsolescence um, forced our hand. And, and so that's always been sort of the journey. So you, that yeah, so you're still being forced, your, your hand Yeah, being I mean, I think well. at the moment, I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I mean, I've sort of been... I, I think at the moment, funnily enough, I think at the moment I'm at a place where I might be at one of those junctions, you know, where um, I perhaps n- need to, um, it's not that anyone said anything. I, I, I have a feeling of that it might be time to change somehow. I, I haven't really got further, much further than that. But um, always, you know, and for a while I was like, oh, do a film. So we did the Scientology movie or do a two-parter or a three-parter. Little inflections mm. in, in approach kind of kept things fresh. And I, I think I might be at a point now where I need to um, change. Take stock, do you take stock? Take stock yeah. and figure out a slightly different Yeah. Approach. And I guess doing the book is, is something. The like, book has yeah. kept me kind of ticking over as well. So... I think, you know, for me, blankness is a condition of of life. It's a sort of ever-present threat and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an adversary that kind of ke- keeps me on my toes. Yeah. I, I don't do well in blankness, which causes me to have to be more resourceful, which is probably good. Yeah, well, like you said, going back to earlier when you were saying that you... Need a focus. You need. Yeah, a, need I think I'd be one of those guys who can't retire. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then he retires, and then he just sits in a chair, staring out the window, wistfully thinking about swingers. Louis, and... Louis. <laughs> no, he's gone. Louis, do you remember? <laughs> do you remember when you met those swingers? I thought he was there? asleep. No, he's been dead for seventy-two hours. <laughs> well, that was. We just sat there. That's what. 
That's what he used to do. Well, he didn't even go to bed. No, he used to just sit there. So you didn't notice. Yeah, he never said anything. Do you want? Do you want to be found like that when you pass? When? Just found well, in I'll a chair. Right, not, well, no, I'm just not wondering. Soon. Like, yeah, no, no, not anytime soon. I meant like when you're older. Yeah, you've got to go. Yeah. Um, um, not soon. But I, it's not a bad. I think I'd rather that than. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what are the alternatives? Certainly, rather than that, than being knocked off my bike, which is yeah. another probably. If you did a kind of, if a bookmaker <laughs> was handicapping different deaths for yeah. me, go under a bus while cycling or be crushed by a lorry would be quite high. And I think, I think, dwindle away on a, on a sort of lazy boy recliner would probably, yeah. while maybe not the most likely, would be my preferred. Okay. I've got to come. So yeah, sorry. no, I know. So right. maybe well, my death. We can maybe, talk for hours. Now, maybe my death is quite a good place. It's a good place to stop. Exclusively, I've, I've <laughs> announced how I propose to die. I do think that, you know, having made a program on it, elective death. Actually, no, I won't touch that. <laughs> That's for next time. Well, we could talk for hours and hours, and I hope we can maybe persuade you to come on again at some point. That would point. be lovely. So we could talk, talk more, but uh, Louis, thank you. So that much went like for a flash. Thank I you. know it did, and thank you so much for coming. Pleasure. On. Thanks for having me. There you go. Wow. What a pod that was. Amazing. Just like I say, I just wish we'd had more time because yeah. we just didn't have... Yeah, I had so many things that I wanted to ask about, but we just didn't get there. But what we did get across was, you know, yeah. was, was great. And Louis was fantastic, and which, which he always is um, in these... I've heard, listened to him on many podcasts, and he's always great and fascinating and interesting. He was wonderful. Yeah, he's got he's got a, a he's got a very acute sense of humour. Oh, brilliant! It was it, it <laughs> yeah, sort of came yeah. out in bits and bobs, doesn't it? It was um... yeah, and we went to some very silly places. Who <laughs> did? Well, we but, like that. <clears throat> yeah, it's brilliant, and yeah, and what a lovely guy. He's just a really nice guy, and yeah, as nice as you can you know imagine he would be. With, yeah. you know, his persona on TV is not much different. He's you know. Yeah, it's just genuine. It was wonderful. So thank you very much, Louis, for giving up your time to be on the podcast because uh, we really appreciate yeah, it. We do. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, and we thank you listeners for listening as well. We appreciate you listening to the pod and interacting with us. We get a lot of nice tweets and we love that. So if you're enjoying the pod, please let us know. Um, our Twitter and our Facebook and Instagram is all the same handle. It is at blankpod. Uh, and if you want to email us and, you know, something a bit lengthier have a little chat with us or let us know your blank moments or your thoughts on the pod or, or any potential future guests you'd love to see on the pod uh, our email address is hello at the com. it is indeed uh, and please rate us uh, wherever you get your pods and subscribe to us as well so that the pods drop into your podcast app every Wednesday morning and you haven't got to do a thing and next Wednesday got another guest oh man we got some good guests coming up got some big guests coming up we have so uh very excited yeah well they're all good we're so lucky we're so we lucky. are we are we are we are very lucky um so keep an eye out for that but in the meantime have a wonderful week and we'll see you again soon on the blank podcast Listen up. You don't want to compromise on quality when it comes to your skin. It deserves respect. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. That's going to cost the earth. But don't worry, it doesn't have to. That's where Bulldog Skincare comes up trumps. They make straightforward products that don't compromise on quality. All their products are developed using quality natural ingredients and are mixed up by some skincare boffins who know what's what. Be loyal to your skin. Check out the website at bulldogskincare.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.